Welcome to Zero Five O. I'm your host, Bruce Bradley, founder of recycling company First Mile. This is our Green Impact podcast, where we meet guests creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Earthworms are a type of anelida, and they're essential to soil health. It's estimated there are 57,000 per acre, and each day they're responsible for moving an incredible 15 tonnes of soil to the surface. Their importance to our ecosystem led Darwin to say that worms are more powerful than the African elephant and more important to the economy than the cow. Worms are vital to soil health, and they can also insist in the composting of food waste. And today, we're going to hear how Anna de la Vega, founder of the Urban Worm, is on a mission to show us how worm farming can deliver future food security and provide super easy solutions for managing food waste. So welcome to Zero Five O, Anna. And these Anna leaders are amazing creatures and super powerful in terms of what they do. So why can't we see them and why are they so important to us? They are important because, well, they in, in the farm, and when our um, earthworms in, in our farmland aid drainage, they move organic matter around and they stop runoff. So if we have good quality water filtration in our land, we're stopping all this runoff going onto our water, fresh waterways, particularly chemical fertilizers, which causes eutrophication, which kills aquatic life. So how did worm because we've all sort of dug up the soil and seen a worm, you know, wiggling around and, and as kids. And how do they move this 15 tons of soil a day? How does the actual worm work? And are they eating the soil? What how how, how do they work? Oh, according to Darwin. Every grain of earth has been passed through the mouth of an earthworm. So they're pretty important. And worm manure, otherwise known as vermicompost, contains all 14 nutrients that plants need to thrive. Are they eating soil and then digesting the material? The microorganisms in the soil as well. That's what they feed off. But due to intensive farming practices, obviously, we have destroyed a lot of our earthworm population. And there was a citizen science project led by Jackie Stroud in 2018. It was um, working, she was working with farmers and that 42% of farmland had either no or very few earthworms. So it was, um, yeah, quite an interesting research. It brought a lot of um, yeah, the dire situation about the soil of our health to light, really. And how have, how have we killed them all with pesticides? Yeah, well, chemical fertilizers are salts, so they irritate the biology in the soil. So, worms, the nematodes, the protozoa, lips. The soil is alive. People don't often think about think that it's a living organism, but it is teeming with life. And a healthy tablespoon of soil will contain more microorganisms than humans on the planet. Wow. It's amazing. And we know, we know so little. We're sort of worried about going to Mars or something in a silly rocket when we don't even know what's on a teaspoon. Absolutely. And I do think there's probably more earthworms. We use um, a particular species in composting. We use a tiger worm, but the Latin name is Asenia petida. I believe there's probably more composting worms in the cities and in towns than there are in actual farmland now from the way that we plough. Turn obviously these heavy agricultural machinery creates compaction and obviously cuts the little worms in half. And we're told, aren't we, that you know we've been told that um, if you cut a worm in half, it becomes two. That's not true. No. Oh. <laughs> the band on the worm, the saddle. That's when you know the worm, an earthworm, is an adult. But if it gets cut too close to the saddle, 
it'll die. But if you just snip the, t- the tail off, they can they can grow back. Half truth in that tail. A half truth there as well. But best not to chop your worms up and leave them whole. Absolutely. And so a tiger worm is a type of earthworm. Is that right? Yes. There's three different categories of earthworm, but we use um, surface-dwelling earthworms, and they're called epigeic earthworms. They live in the top six to twelve inches of the of the soil, and they thrive in fresh, rotting waste. It's the little red ones you'll find in your compost bin. Right. And so, where we've got unhealthy farmland, which forty-two percent potentially unhealthy farmland with low levels of worms, there's an issue there. But also, the urban worm is using worms to manage food waste. Yes. So how does that work? So worms can eat up to half their body weight a day, and they reduce the volume by up to 90%. So it's a perfect solution for built-up urban environments where people don't have access to outdoors, no space for compost. Obviously, people get concerned about rodents, rats. So because worm farming can be in a closed unit, you can do it indoors. You can keep a mini worm farm in your kitchen cupboard. It solves all, all that problem. So we can do our little bit at home rather than sending our rotting food waste to landfill. So rotting food waste emits methane and nitrous oxide. And methane is 31 times stronger than carbon dioxide. And nitrous oxide is 310 times so I think it's something that we really need to be looking at rather than harping on about carbon dioxide all the time, which is very how we have very tunnel vision. I think when we talk about carbon dioxide, it's essential to life. It's very important. I think when we talk about zero carbon, it's quite scary. It doesn't really make any sense. Carbon dioxide is essential to life. And some farmers will say, actually, we're, they're limited in carbon. They, we, need, we need carbon. I think a wider discussion could be had. Food waste is often missed when we talk about climate change and so if you have a worm farm at home to digest your food waste there are no emissions from that obviously the waste isn't rotting it's not releasing any gases so it's a um, it's a mesophilic process which is a cool composting process rather than a hot composting excellent and so the worms are in there doing their stuff and then do you take out the vermicompost or do you just keep putting food waste in do that does it eventually fill up the the worm farm once it's full up you want to harvest your worms from your worm manure and then you can use it on your garden, on your houseplant, give it to your lovely friends and neighbours. It's very high quality product. As an example, one tonne of worm manure replaced the need for eight tonnes of cow manure. That was in um, research from Cuba. So I'm a Winston Churchill fellow and I was funded to go to the States in Cuba in 2016. I was particularly interested in Cuba because of the breakdown of the Soviet Union. And they lost 80% of their imports and exports overnight. But they were using twice the amount of chemical fertilizer as the states per hectare. So they were really caning it to, to, for sugar production. They were getting like five times the market price, the global market price. It wasn't sustainable. And it was policy for residents to tear down their mango trees and start growing sugar cane. And then when the collapse happened, obviously, it was a dire situation. And the average Cuban lost 20 pounds. But I was very interested in Cuba because two years before the collapse, worm farming was introduced into the country. So that really saved saved the day, really. And even on national television, there were programs teaching people how to farm worms and how to grow organically. So they didn't have they lost eight percent of their imports, so they didn't have 
fuel for, for vehicles, for farm for farm vehicles. So using vermicompost really saved their life. Saved the day, saved the life, absolutely. Well, it sounds like very potent stuff. And then when you harvest the worms and take them out, do they then go into the next worm farm and then you start all over again? And we double the population every 60 days. They're quite prolific. So you never need to you never need to worry about topping up the worms. Absolutely. No need to do that. So the hermaphrodites, but they, they do need to mate with another worm to reproduce and then both lay eggs. And then they just re and then and then away it goes again. And again. So we can everything can be repaired. We can produce the topsoil that we've lost due to industrial intensive um, agriculture. And I've got another technical question. So on on one of your articles on your website, I was learning, I was reading that you were putting in somewhere some some bokashi bins as well. Was that a separate project, or are you? Because I'm sort of in, really interested in, in in bokashi. Maybe tell us what tell the listeners what that is. And because particularly I'm interested in EM, E effective microorganisms one, which is what we use to make bokashi. So bokashi used with um, a bran, rice bran, wheat bran, and you mix bokashi bran with EM1 molasses and water, and that's what makes the bokashi for the fermentation process. But actually EM1 has many, many different uses, and it's manufactured in 102 countries. No, it's used in 102 countries and manufactured in 56 last time I checked, but not in the UK. And it's used in agriculture. It's used. Um, it's used in the building industry. So if you build with it, it makes buildings stronger. Um, it stops agricultural smells. It cleans water. Stops the de- it stops the decaying process. So EM one is a collection of three different microorganisms. You've got phototropic bacteria. They consume carbon dioxide, hydrogen sulfide, which is that horrible gassy sulfur smell. And then EM one is the is the thing that you need to make the bakashi. It needs fermentation in Japanese, and it's a way to manage your food waste in an air in an, in an airtight container. So you, it's just a bucket. You put a layer of food waste, and you put a handful of bakashi, layer of food, and then once it's full, it'll be ready. You leave it to um, cook, yes, cook or ferment for two weeks, and then you can then put that onto your garden. It'll break down very quickly, and it retains all the nutrients. Where with composting, the hot composting, we lose a lot of nutrients. We lose a lot of that energy. And is that a completely separate system to vermiculture? Different separate system. But we use, um, I spray EM1 on my um, on my worm farms. I encourage people to do that. It creates, if it's, if it's gone a bit bad and smelly, it'll balance the conditions and creates oxygen and gets foul smells. Right. Okay. So you can use them as, as a sort of an enhancer in the worm farm to help manage the process. Bit of bakashi, you can put your bakashi waste in your worm farm as well. Not too much, but they will. They will eat it. I think the last five minutes has definitely shown us how little we know. We were sort of so focused on all these sort of industrial processes that actually we know very little about how microbes work and how these sort of natural processes work, which I'm doing a brilliant job of uh, sound. So I think I represent the population by being completely uh, uneducated around these things. So it's really... You don't, you don't know if you don't know. If nobody told you, you don't know. It's absolutely fascinating. And so my compost heap that I was um, turning at the weekend, it's like gone all like a bit goopy and smelly at the bottom and, and sticky. Is that because I don't have any worms in there? Yeah, well, it's got anaerobic, probably hasn't got enough oxygen in there, or so you haven't got the right balance of greens, browns. So ideally, you want 60% browns, which is leaf material, 30% green material which don't have much of at the moment winter 
and the rest high nitrogen, like animal waste. That's the perfect combination. But obviously, when we're just composting at home, it's not always easy to. I think get... I might have hit a layer of lawn clippings, which is part of the, which might have been the problem. Too much heat, the worms won't like that. So as your compost heats up, it consumes oxygen. As bacteria multiplies, it consumes oxygen, and worms need oxygen. Great segue into worm farms. So you're on a mission to get thousands of worm farms into houses, restaurants, farms, everywhere. So could you tell us about this? So the project, do you want to tell about 1,000 worms? Yes, please. Yes, we've um, recently had some funding from the National Lottery um, for a project called 1,000 Worm Farmers. So we have funding to gift 1,000 packs of 100 grams of worms to anyone who apply, who, anyone who makes the worm farm upload the photograph onto our website and we'll send them worms in the post and it's actually supposed to be a two-year project that's supposed to finish in 2023 and currently we have I think like 850 applicants already and we've already shipped out over 500 packs of worms so it's gone a bit mad it's very popular we weren't expecting such interest don't the worms die in the post no they do not they travel well we pack them nicely with some bedding and some food for their journey where are the worms coming from? Have you got a worm breeding farm or are they like in your... We, we do breed worms at Carcolson. We have another work. We've got another site in Carcolson, which is about 20 minutes from the workshop. But we buy extra worms from Yorkshire worms. Excellent. So very good pedigree of the Yorkshire worms. That's perfect. And there's huge opportunity for people, you know, as, as this industry is growing. There's definitely opportunity for entrepreneurs to step forward and start producing worms. And what's a typical worm farm look like? It's very different to to be breeding worms than to be managing waste. So ideally, it wants to be at 22 degrees. It wants to be quite warm. And you breed worms in trays. And it's quite an intensive process after 20 days. Then you remove the worms from the eggs because every 21 days they lay. And so as not to compete, so the babies don't compete with the adults. So it's a completely different process to waste management. And then the waste management side of it. So the people you're sending out the packs of worms to, how does one build a worm farm? So all you need is what well, we've, we've made videos on our website. You can make a worm farm out of a bag for life. It's on a budget. You don't need a, you don't need a lot, but you need oxygen and drainage. That's all worms need and darkness and moisture. An old 10 litre bucket, oxygen, drainage holes. There you go. And do you need to be careful about what food waste you put in them or anything out of the kitchen? They don't like acidic environments, so you want to keep out too much citrus and onion. Onion skins are fine and oily foods because worms breathe through their skin. So they want to be putting lots of grease in there. It'll suffocate them. But I mean, I always advise people don't put meat, don't put dairy, all these things in because it can create a mess. But I, I do put everything in my worm farm, but it's in, in balance. Some people just empty their whole fridge freezer and it has happened in a worm farm and it's gone wrong. So keep it, I just like to keep, to keep it simple and advise people to keep those things out of your worm farm unless you're a professional. So the thousand worm farms is going incredibly well if you sort of got eight, 800 applicants already. Are you looking at building uh, sort of bigger solutions for managing food waste using worms? Yes, well, we're working with um, MacArthur Glen Designer Shopping Outlet Centre in Cannock. Wagamamas are using our, yeah, we've got six 1,100 litre worm farms. 
So Urban Planters, the company who are the con- who have the contract for managing the grounds, they are using the vermi compost produced from the kitchens on the ground. So we're keeping everything on site. And how's that gone with Wagamama sort of staff in terms of tra- does it need quite a lot of training to get the right material in? We got some had had some teething problems, but um, everything seems to be going smoothly. I'm going to check upon it this week, and we've got ITV coming to see them this week, so hoping everything's going to be okay. But yeah, I think you know industry businesses really want to be making positive change now, and it's really it's really positive that it's mainstreaming. There's a school as well, um, Dollar Academy in Scotland. They are using industrial. They've got two. They've got two or three industrial worm bins um, our, our systems they're using those in their canteens as well and how many worms would you put in an 1100 litre wormery to sort of start it off six kilos in each to start off with um, and they're at 27 28 pounds a kilo in money and then they obviously re reproduce themselves so would you then fill if it's sort of on a, on a on a sort of industrial scale like that would you fill the bin up with food waste then put the worms on top or would you put some food slowly so it's um, a little and often so the worms will move their way up through the bin so it starts quite shallow and then they will move their way up process it and the, the worms will be at the top where the fresh waste is so process you don't just stick it all in it'll become anaerobic and smelly and nobody nobody wants that and how do you get the worms out at the end? Is there a technique? Parts manufactured from a local factory in Leicester. We have harvesting hatches. So just like with it, it looks like a composting bin, you have the hatch at the bottom. system, but it's in a closed loop. Open the hatch, poke the castings out. So when you finish digesting a sort of an 1100 litre bin of all the worms are in there somewhere, how do you... How... So the worms, as you do it slowly, the, the waste will be processed, but at the top where the fresh is still the worms so most of the worms will be hanging around at the top right and then you just get your hands in there and pick them out get your hands in there and get that quality perfect and then i guess as you take if you, as you get through the vermicompost you can if you find the old worm there as well you're just basically trying to get them into their new home i love it low appropriate technology very inspired by you know ernest fritz schumacher who founded practical action and he wrote a book called Small is Beautiful Economics as if people mattered. And he advocated for low-tech technology. And this is what worm farming is, is low-tech. Turns out nature knows what it's doing. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, we're heading towards AI. And there's lots of government funding for these automated high-tech stuff. And I think it's a dangerous path. And we can't control our technology and we don't know how to fix it. That's when... We run into problems and we have big high bills. So simple technology that we can control. And what do worms, if worms could talk, what do worms think of compostable packaging, compostable plastic films? They're not fans. So it takes a long time. So these compostable packaging that we're sold, we think we're all doing the right thing. Actually, they require very high temperatures to break them down. So in industrial composting systems, that's fine, but in a home com- even in a home composting bin, it's going to take a long time. I've found a lot of these composting bags that have been in my worm farms for years and years and years, and I just don't seem to break down. They require heat. Okay, to sort of start to break down the bonds between the polymers. But then if they broke down sufficiently, worms would then be able to digest. And they would be able to, just getting them broken down in, in the first place. And if the tiger worms are ingesting the food to 
then poo it out as vermicompost, then presumably they're not going to be able to get a bag in their mouth anyway. But they won't be able to get the bag in their mouth. No, they won't be able to get a bag. No, they're not going to get a plastic bag in their mouth and they don't have teeth. But if it was a small piece of plastic, then they would be able to. Yeah. Well, not plastic, is it? Whatever it is. Whatever but... it is, yeah. Type of like, natural plastic. Is, uh, to put grey grits, like um, we use sand or eggshells to add that to your bin. It helps the worms break the waste down because they don't have any teeth. So it passes through their gizzard and chops their food up for them. Right. So if you chop the waste up, would it be easier for the worms? Worms aren't actually eating food waste. They're eating the microorganisms that break down the food waste. So the smaller, when we chop waste into smaller pieces, it creates more surface area for the microorganisms to attach to, which gives worms more food to feast on. So more surface area, smaller pieces. Sticking a whole banana with the skin on in your worm farm isn't going to do much. Right. So smaller pieces is better. Smaller pieces that have ti- tiny mouths. Yeah, and they can eat that as well. Wow, that fascinating stuff, the sort of uh, the, the mini mini world of worms. And then can it be scaled up to sort of... Absolutely. Um... Huge. So when I was in the States, I visited Worm Power, which, which is the biggest worm farm in the world. That's in upstate um, New York, in Rochester. And they've actually had, I think they had like 4 million government funding. So there's, um, it's a coin farm. The guy that set it up was Tom Hurley. Was it Tim Hurley? Hurley. I know his surname was Hurley and he was a waste management consultant and set up Worm Power and he's working with a dairy farm that's a mile down the road and they're processing the waste equivalent to 40,000 residents. So they're working together. So obviously the farm, you would have to, to dispose of it, pay a lot of money. Instead, it's being fed to the worms at Worm Power and they're supplying high value crops. They're growers of high value crops. So vineyards and um, the medical marijuana industry it's why it's so successful in in the states there's huge 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 worm farming culture even in a prison in seattle a worm composting all of their waste so it's it's very mainstream but yeah agriculture america are the ones to look at well actually all over the world there's industrial worm farms in australia india everywhere just not here not here yet not here. why aren't we fans on worms I think it's a lot of, you know, industry resistance. The, the first synthetic fertilizer company was set up in the UK in 1850 at the Rothamsted Institute. So we are, yes, big, big business. So, you know, farmers spend a lot of money on these fertilizers. So I think there is a lot of resistance there. And our climate isn't ideal for it. But saying that in upstate New York, Rochester, it's freezing and they're managing to do it fine. I think we think that maybe we're advanced and we don't look to develop new ideas or we're not looking at other countries. I don't know, but they really are. We really are behind. Shocking, really. It's shocking. When I was going to the States, people would say, oh, were you going there to teach them? I could have spent years in America doing my research. It's definitely one to look at for waste management. Maybe it's just like not sexy enough worms or there's a branding, there's a branding issue with them. But they're doing it in zoos. There's um, a zoo in Seattle. They're managing all of their waste with worms and, and then they're selling their waste or they're selling the worm manure in the shop for a very high price. So, yeah, it's a lot sexier over there. But, yeah, people aren't really into it yet. I'm working on it, working on it. It's happening. It's happening. And have ca- any councils, uh, uh, any of sort of the UK councils looking at worm management of food waste? So, recently I've been contacted by Newark and Sherwood Councils. So, they want to install worm farms in 43 of their schools. 
as a learning tool and also for waste management. So it's taking off. I was due to, before lockdown in the April, I had a contract with APM and they um, had a contract to work with three prisons, one up north, two in the East Midlands. And we were going to train um, inmates how to farm worms, deliver horticulture qualifications, and then we were going to supply the local farms with worm manure. But obviously that all came to an end and that was EU funding and that we obviously have lost that EU funding now. So sadly, that huge opportunity to show people and to make a blueprint has passed. Hopefully it'll, it'll come back. And how many worm farms do you think there are in the UK at the moment? I mean, you're talking about handfuls or the thousands? People that are breeding worms, probably four, four or five. Not a huge amount of, of breeders. So we've got a lot of people with home composting, home worm composting systems, but on a large scale, it's not, it's not really enough. And then in homes and schools and restaurants, how many do you think? Oh, goodness. Well, we've... Ooh, you have a map, I think, don't you? If people want to. So we've got the 1,000 worm farmers map, and have a map for our customers, but we never get around to actually update. It was a nice idea, but actually, <laughs> yeah, update your map is like, why did we do that? So I don't know. We must have three and a half thousand, I think, over the years. I mean, I've been doing this for seven years, so yeah, we've probably got over three thousand now in total. I would have thought. Before we get on to sort of how you got into the worms and I've got one more sort of technical question which is I was sort of reading up before the podcast and there's this thing called the earthworm dilemma which might not be relevant at all for food waste and tiger worms which is are you familiar with the earthworm dilemma? Yeah it's it's a funny one it's like a double-edged sword isn't it because obviously healthy soil is a carbon sponge sequesters carbon dioxide and we need worms in our soil to to do that it's a tricky one. I still support and with worm. I'm very suspicious about anything like this. But there was a headline screaming a few years ago that earthworms cause um, climate change because they release carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide when they break material down. But like any living thing it, that lives on oxygen, it breathes in oxygen and emits carbon dioxide. But I'm not sure they're the cause of the problem. We are the same for us. We say that we're the problem where they're going to get and to wipe us off because we're so too much. <laughs> carbon so um no it's, it's vital that we have healthy worm populations in our soil to sequester carbon and to, for, for high productivity if we don't have any nutrients in our soil we're not going to survive for very long we've lost 83 percent nutrients since the 1850s in structured synthetic fertilizers and also the production of synthetic fertilizers emits nitrous oxide so again 310 times stronger than carbon dioxide and and the energy it used to it takes to produce these fertilizers so it's um and take it to the farm and spread it on the fields um, exactly the chemicals and phosphate so synthetic fertilizer is nitrogen potassium phosphate we're actually meeting our phosphate reserves we don't have any in america or europe anymore and eight morocco hold 80 percent it doesn't matter because we can just make our own yeah absolutely very simple and it can liberate farmers you know Farmers have a lot of compassion for farmers. It's a, the hardest job, and they get a, you know they get a lot of stick. Oh, you know, using chemicals and farming this way. Well, that's all they've been told. That's all they they know. They're they're financially they're supported to do it this way, and they don't know any better. But if we start introducing vermicomposting, farmers can work together. If you're producing a crop and somebody's a livestock farmer, 
work together to manage their waste and to producing a very high value product and to be saving a lot of money in business you want to reduce your inputs and so farmers or gardeners want more worms in their soil do they need to buy some worms and put them on the soil or do they need to do a few things to encourage worms to come naturally i don't advise people to be putting especially not composting worms in your in your garden they won't be happy there they're surface dwellers but if you are adding organic matter into your soil and it has you haven't got compaction then naturally the thought that the worms will come just like they come to your compost bin well not yours bruce but yeah. <laughs> i'm sure i had some in there somewhere but they will they will migrate if the conditions are good but yeah you can't put worms in the garden and hope that that's going to fix everything because that's not but it's the it's what we're putting on our garden salt synthetic fertilizers irritate the skin of, bio, of the biology in the soil and we need biology make a nice home and they'll come yes absolutely absolutely so it's all about the soil food web it's the bacteria the protozoa the little nematodes and worms eat the nematodes and it's actually microbe poo that produce nutrients as well so it's it's not just worm poo it's the tiny tiny little things that we can't see are producing fertilizer for us and we close when we spray chemicals on our on our land it's just so amazing there's so many things going on that we can't we just can't see or don't understand and how on earth did you get into the urban worm and all of this wonderful wriggly worm of microbes I actually started out my career as a photojournalist and then after I graduated I had an internship with the Kathmandu Post in Nepal. So I went to Nepal, realised the, the um, Kathmandu Post wasn't really helping me develop. I think they were using like Photoshop 3, we were on Photoshop 9 at the time. <laughs> it was, it wasn't, um, yeah, I didn't really feel like I was getting the most out of my time there so I actually left and I went to work with Practical Action and I volunteered my services and I travelled around the western region of Nepal, visiting projects and I saw how appropriate technology was alleviating people from poverty and I really wanted to stop working in this industry so I came back when I came back to the UK I retrained undertook an MA in human security and environmental change but I specialized in food security and my eyes were open to the injustice in the food system how degraded our soils were what industrial agriculture was doing and how it was undermining our health and the livelihoods of farmers so Rather than run off to London and try and get a lowly paid job in the city for an environmental organisation, I decided to set up the urban worm. I lived in the city and I was very fortunate. I had um, I, I applied to um, Women in Social Environmental Enterprise and Tim Smith was founder of the Eden Project. He was on. He was a judge. And then really, I've just grown from strength to strength. I've applied for lots of grants. I've had lots of support because it was niche. So I developed, living in the city, I developed parts to convert wheelie bins into worm farms. So it was really about urban, domestic, small scale, what we can do. You know, we can feel overwhelmed in this world with all the, the things, the challenges. And you feel like, oh, what can I do just by supporting people? Like, you know, we can do this. You know, soil is, like, soil is everything. If we don't have, we have this, we have nothing. We're made up of the same stuff of the soil. So the word humus is what we call rich organic matter uh, um, worm manure human humus and human you know we are that we are the same so yeah that's how it started really was just trying to provide local solutions making change rather than you know problem well there's always there's also a solution 
and enterprise you know there's opportunities as well as passionate you know all there's opportunities for here we have high high young unemployment and this is yeah it's an avenue for people to get into a good a good industry that is tiny but needs to grow so yeah we started from wanting to take some action and I'm like yeah I'm gonna teach people to make their own fertilizers so they don't go and buy horrible stuff that was really it really to inspire people and and show them because people just have no idea you know they have no idea again if you don't know nobody told you you don't know but worms are the answer they they whatever passes through their body becomes clean so dog waste toxic waste it's called um, vermi remediation is the academic term for cleaning contaminated land with with worms and there's a lot of research in India actually how they've cleaned land contaminated DDTs and PCBs that they just regenerate re rebirth everything can be repaired so when we're told oh we've got 30 years of harvest, harvest left or this and that well no we can it doesn't have to be that way we can fix it everything can be fixed very very quickly we can change the productivity of our farmland if farming practices are done properly in harmony and with thought about the life in the soil we have the tools it's just a case of implementing them we have the tools we have the tools we just need policy and people in these big organizations to start taking changes but it's happening i mean today i just i am um, i de- de- delivered a worm farm to a uk um uk waste solutions limited that are just around the corner from me so they're looking into it as well so it's happening but yeah that's how it started really was just seeing a problem and seeing how we can make positive change from that. And what does success look like for you? Worm farm on every street, I guess. That's the dream. Um, ideally, obviously, there's a household that will go, will go for street, every street. And just awareness. I mean, it's been a dream. The fact, you know, we had an article in The Guardian and we've been on the BBC, we've got ITV next week. And this just feels like a dream. You know, I've been doing this for seven, eight years and everyone, you know, time listening to me I'm like keep nobody really you know paying much attention but they are now so yeah this feels like a dream it feels uh, feel successful at the moment yeah no it's amazing and you've got people's attention which is great and what should listeners do differently or what should listeners do today to help you succeed getting a a worm farm on every street well obviously they can buy a worm farm from me worm.co.uk or apply to be one of our 1,000 worm farmers. We've got 150 packs left. So we've got some videos online showing you how to make a worm farm on a tiny budget. Just do it. You know, it's really, you don't have to start small and then your squirm will grow. And what are you most excited about that's coming up, Anna, that you're... uh... I'm a soil food web lab technician. So I sample people's soil, but I was actually doing a consultancy course, a soil food web consultancy course but I've had to stop that because business is doing too well and I don't have have the time to do that but I was working with a farmer down south we were going to be doing trials that was one of the most exciting things but that's had to go on hold um but I'm doing workshops I mean we're going to be doing a workshop with Raymond Blanc that's quite exciting they've asked me to do a workshop so I'm doing workshops in Cornwall got Manchester next week RHS I'm doing a workshop with RHS next week Lots of travel. I'm doing lots of traveling around the country, and that is nice because I haven't been anywhere in a long time. Meeting people and telling them about worms, it's fantastic. It's my, my favorite thing to do. That's what I like to do. And if people want to um, learn more about worms, is there a worm podcast or a worm book or a worm website that people should go and check out? 
a really good book, Rhonda Sherman, The Earthworm Farmer's Handbook. Rhonda's great. She is the American earthworm queen. I was very um, privileged to meet her and speak at a conference in 2017, I think. I spoke at her vermiculture conference, the most scariest thing I've ever done, people actually paying to listen to you. She's a really good one. And there's a really nice book by Amy Stewart, The Earth Moved, which is um, a less technical book, but nice story about the earthworm. So I highly recommend, highly recommend that. And obviously Darwin, The Formation of Vegetable Mould Through the Action of Earthworms. That is his top seller. It outsold the origin of species and it wasn't right about everything. But it's, it's one to look at if people are interested. It's got a less, less uh, snappy title as well. Yes. But yeah, Ron does a but there's loads of information out there. There's loads of Facebook groups, and um, we have we've got guides on our website as well. We've got downloadable free PDFs, so people can follow a guide and see how they can make their own. And what's the thing that you hear said the most that's the least true about worms, other than chopping them in half? So that's the main one. Are people scared? Are lots of people scared of worms, or not really? Um, not really. Some, I mean, the odd, the odd parent, but generally people actually do love them. And you get a few, um, when I'm at school, you get the few girls pretending to be squeamish, but they're actually not. And most people do actually lo- love them. They're very lovable because we know, maybe we know intrinsically how important they are. And if you were going to ask the listeners to do just one thing to help tackle climate change, what would it be? You can say get a worm farm. <laughs> uh, one, get a worm farm. And to support your local organic farmer, that's the, the one thing we can do. Support farmers that are looking after our land and looking after our soil. That's what we need. Stewards, support our stewards. And if you buy local, you'll massively reduce uh, food miles, refrigeration costs and all that as well. And all that. So, yes, keep it local and keep it simple. And Anna, before we go, it's absolutely fascinating. I've certainly learned so much on this podcast in particular. But before we go, we have something called the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame. And we ask our guests to leave something. We're going to do a big review in the future. What would you leave in the First Mile Planet Saver Hall of Fame? Tiger worms so they can go forth and multiply. Perfect. You can have a bucket of tiger worms if you prefer, but we'll have some tiger worms. We'll just have some tiger. Well, we'll have we'll have some tiger worms. Perfect. I love that. We've got a vermi future in the Hall of Fame, which is uh, absolutely key. Anna, where do listeners, um, if they want to check out the Urban Worm Farmer, what's your website, social media? How do they find you? Theurbanworm.co.uk on Instagram. We are the underscore urban underscore worm, and where are we? Twitter, the Urban Worm UK, and Facebook, the Urban Worm. Anna, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the podcast. Thank you so very much. Been super interesting learning all about worms and vermiculture and been actually genuinely really super interesting. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much. I'm Bruce Bratley and you've been listening to Zero Five O, where we meet remarkable people creating solutions for a zero carbon world. Keep listening to all episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.